0: And now here's your host, Sean Rost.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the R Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and I'll be your guide to explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from Our Missouri. In honor of the state's 200th birthday, R Missouri will feature a series throughout 2021 entitled Bicentennial Book Club, which discusses award winning publications that detail the state's diverse history, as well as the stories behind the stories featured within their pages. In today's episode, we will reflect on a book that came out more than 30 years ago and significantly shaped interpretations of the guerrilla conflict within Missouri before, during, and after the Civil War, Michael Fellman's Inside War. Sadly, Michael Fellman passed away in 2012, so to offer his perspective on Fellman's work, we are joined by a previous guest, Joseph M. Beeline Jr. He holds a PhD in history from the University of Missouri and presently serves as an associate professor of history at Penn State Erie, the Barron College. He is the author of Bushwhackers, Guerrilla Warfare, Manhood, and the Household in Civil War, Missouri, and the editor of William Gregg's Civil War, The Battle to Shape the History of Guerrilla Warfare, and The Civil War Guerrilla, Unfolding the Black Flag in History, Memory, and Myth. Welcome to our Missouri, Joe.
2: Sean, it is great to be back. I'm really looking forward to this.
1: Well, we are happy you're joining us again. And we're talking about Michael Feldman's Inside War, of course, and to kind of get a perspective on not only the book's history and legacy, but really what the book was about, let's let's begin by looking at those kind of central arguments and claims. What is Feldman saying in this work at the very beginning? There.
2: Well, uh, the the first thing to sort of preface my response is is Feldman is saying a lot, and it's a it's a book that is that is. Um, I don't even remember how many pages it is, but but probably close to 300 pages. But it's a dense book, not in terms of the writing. The writing is, is beautiful, uh, but there's a lot of ideas. And so Felman is, is touching on a number of different topics. Uh, and I think if you were to ask three historians who are familiar with Fellman's book what Fellman's book is really about, you, you might get three very different responses, or or just different, maybe not very different, but different responses. So uh, I think that to, to understand what this book is about, the central themes, the central arguments, we should we should try to stay out of the weeds here at first. And, and I kind of mean that literally, right? We're in the Missouri bush. So maybe, maybe to get on top of it, I think the two big things here that Felman is doing that were different for the time. Uh, in which he wrote the book, and and are are still really um, significant now. Uh, the first is that Felman makes the guerrilla war the war, right? So um, there was often this this old idea, and I think it goes back to Bruce Catton, and then um, and Daniel Sutherland has sort of brought it back as a sort of a straw man. But but this idea that the guerrilla war was a sideshow to the, the main act of the Civil War, right? That, that, that really, the, you know, that people that would make this argument that the guerrilla war is a sideshow, would place you know, maybe Grant and Lee at the center of the war's narrative, Gettysburg, Vicksburg, Shiloh, th- those are all at the, at the, on the main stage, so to, so to speak. And the guerrilla war is just this sort of side act, you know, being played off in the shadows at, at, the, at the fringes of, of the fair or, or where, wherever we are. And what Feldman does is Feldman reorients us and says, huh, the war was really like this. And most uh, people experience the war like this, you know, uh, um, through guerrilla warfare through a much more irregular form of violence, quote unquote, irregular form of violence, that most Southern civilians or non-combatants experience the war in this way, you know, and that very few people actually experience the war as pickets charge or as the fight around, you know, a little round top or, or what have you. So that's the first thing he does. He reorients us and, and, and lets us see the war as, excuse me, lets us see the guerrilla war as the civil war, the war. The second thing he does, sort of building off of, of the first, is that he erases that line between battlefront and homefront. He, he, he shows us that, that these were not two distinct spaces, you know, where the war is being fought over here and then back over here, everything is fine and peaceful and all that. So he, he blurs that line. He gets rid of that demarcation between the two and shows that the war engulfed everything and everyone, not just the people, you know, on those quote unquote fields of battle, but that the field of battle actually, you know, went into people's, people's homes. So we see him blurring the lines between soldiers and civilians, combatants, non-combatants shows us that, that, that a person could be a soldier one day and and a civilian the next, or that people um, like, like for instance, women, folks that we did not often consider as being participants in the war were in fact, you know, participating in the war. Um, so he he really blurs the lines. And I'll say here, just as building off that that second point here, blurring the lines, this is where Felman's book really sort of fits in the historiography. It's a it's a central part of the dark turn. So he wasn't the first historian to write uh, about the Civil War as being something darker, something that was not so romantic. Um, I think uh, Philip Paladin's book, victims came out in the early 1980s, so before Fellman's book. But when Fellman wrote this book and he blurred the line between civilians and soldiers, when, when he showed us that guerrilla warfare was really central to, to, to what the war was about, his book became central to that genre uh, of the dark turn. And and it remains sort of the most haunting book to my to my perspective of the dark turn in, in Civil War history.
1: Now, you brought up historiography there and and That kind of takes us both back a little bit to Reed Hall and kind of thinking about how to deconstruct a book in some ways. But when this book comes out in 1989, you you mentioned a little bit there about earlier on in some studies of the Civil War there. But when people think about a long history of the Civil War, even, you know, 19th century Missouri uh, Missouri and United States history, violence, gender studies, where was Inside War at at that point in 1989? What was the state of those fields in terms of what it was doing in relation to those other works?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really important question. And it's important for, for contextualizing this book. Filman's on the cutting edge of a lot of uh, subfields of, of Civil War history, we might, we might call them. Uh, the, the big ones, which you, you, you allude to here a little bit, Sean, are, um, I mean, really, he, he looks at violence, you know and 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 approaches violence as its own sort of analytical category. He does um, some stuff with gender that it's at the very sort of forefront of that field in in the late 1980s. And then the last big thing he does where he is, uh, I think, you know, way ahead of of what's going on uh, is with memory and memory studies. Um so and, and that's not to say. That that there weren't people working on these things. Like, you know, with violence, you know, I mentioned Paladin's book, Victims. So there's people that are working on these things, people that had even published on these things before. But like with gender studies, for instance, Philman is not, I don't think he would consider, would have considered himself a a scholar of gender by any means. But his two chapters here the one on women as as participants and victims, and then the one on uh, the guerrillas and Union soldiers, um, which he titles Brother Killers fantastic title for that for that chapter that, i mean that's masculinity studies there right the the chapter on on women you know he's looking at the the way that women participated their roles in in, in the conflict um, these are these are out front uh, many of the great works of gender and of of women's history when it comes to the civil war those are being published in the 1990s. So this is the late 80s. He's, he's sort of ahead of the curve a little bit on that. Now, I think gender scholars would have plenty to argue with Feldman about, about how he, you know, necessarily deals with women and men, but, but he's doing it. You know, he's doing it before a lot of people are. And so, you, you know, I can imagine he was probably making things up as, as he went. And then memory, you know, um, David Blight's Study, Race and Reunion won't come out for a while after, after this book is, is published. And so his, his final chapter, which is on the memory and how the you know, the gorillas sort of construct you know the myth and mythology uh, around their war, and he, and he then goes on to deconstruct it. That stuff is way ahead of, of what people are doing. And, then, and, and just to give you a, an idea of where this book fits with what else is being published, what else is going on in the Civil War at the time. So Fellman's book is published in 1989. The year before Fellman's book is published, James McPherson uh, writes and publishes Battle Cry of Freedom, which is the, you know, uh, sort of massive tome that, that will really come to be probably the most popular book on, on the Civil War in, in modern times. You know, it's a synthetic work where he really sort of uh, re-sculpts, re even sort of defines the narrative of the Civil War for, you know, a modern audience. Uh, And, and in that book, which is like uh, almost 900 pages, I think that there's one paragraph on guerrillas. There might be a couple, maybe there's one on, on what's going on in Missouri. And then maybe another one on, you know, Mosby and and Virginia, but, but there's not much, there's a couple paragraphs in a 900 page book on the guerrilla war. And and that book, you know, the uh, battle cry of freedom, of course, you know, becomes, you know, it's still wildly popular today. It's very much the textbook you know, for the last, you know, 30 years or so, uh, uh, for Civil War history. So two paragraphs in 900 pages. Now, I'm not saying McPherson should have included more about the guerrillas. I'm just saying in the late 1980s, you know, a guy who is really sort of the historian in the field or one of the historians in the field just didn't think the guerrillas were that important. Um, I'm not sure if he would have written the book differently 10 years later or, or after Feldman's book came out, but it just gives you a sense of, of the time um, and how, how much of a sideshow gorillas really were. They were at the fringe. And then the other thing, Sean, uh, the other thing that co- happens about the same time is Ken Burns' Civil War comes out in 1990, I believe. It, it's, it's right around the same time. And if you watch that, and I haven't watched it in its entirety for a while, um, I think, again, that, that the gorillas are sort of mentioned uh, but that's about it. I mean, that, that, you know, definitely sticks to this, this, this narrative of, you know, at least in terms of the war of, of Lee and Grant and Gettysburg and Shiloh and all of that stuff. Burns also does a good job, of course, of, of you know, including emancipation and, and slavery and all all of those things as well. But there's, there's no guerrilla warfare in in that. So, Fellman is writing at a time when guerrilla warfare is just not a major consideration for civil war historians or buffs of the civil war.
1: I think you all raised a really important point there and thinking about what's coming out at the time there. Burns is, uh the civil war and as you mentioned battle cry of freedom which I'm looking at right now over, <laughs> over the computer screen as you mentioned. but something to think about too is if if McPherson is not talking too much about guerrilla warfare in, in what is a, lar- a large synthesis of the of, of this of war so there's a lot to cover as you said but I mean was there just a lack of of materials there for someone like McPherson to find that Feldman did or I mean I guess I'm saying who wrote about the guerrilla warfare in a place like Missouri before Feldman?
2: Yeah and, and that's a that's a really good point and and it's, and to be fair to McPherson, right? Which, which of course, we, we want to be because um, he's a great scholar and, and, it's a, and it's a very good book, you know, all things considered, um, a meaning a Battle Cry of Freedom. There was not a lot out there. Uh, you know, you have the various biographies on Quantrell that were out there. Uh, Albert Castell's early 60s, you know, uh, uh, one being the, probably the most, um, you know, popular and also, you know, scholarly grounded work on him. And then there's, there's some other stuff. Richard S. Brownlee had a book from the late fifties and, and there's a few things on Mosby. And, and so there's some stuff out there, but, but you're right. I I think that it took Michael Feldman writing inside war to really bring this to our, our attention. And, and and you mentioned there, I think uh, maybe you mentioned, but for whatever reason, I, I thought of sources, you know, um, Michael was able to find some things that other people hadn't found. Now, it's probably because no one else was looking for them, right? I mean, on a certain level, you know, we have to be reminded uh, by historians of what's what's important. Um, and so he went looking for things that were there the whole time, but no one had pursued because they weren't interested in them. So, you know, he was obviously uh, combing through stuff at the National Archives, an important source for you know, uh, my work, for instance, later on, he, he was one of the first people to get back into, which is the Provost Marshall records. So um, yeah, so he was he was digging and digging and digging in places where other people had not yet dug, at least not for, you know, almost 100 years since since the sources had been sort of cataloged and, and put away. So yeah, it really took Fillman and his ability to get in deep, to shine a light on all this, so that gorillas would be included on the next synthetic work, you know, the next, you know, sort of uh, a battle cry of freedom, if you will. And of course they are now.
1: Now thinking forward in time here, the book comes out as we're sitting here now, 32 years ago, how has scholarship changed because of Felman's work uh, and how have scholars in some ways, and you could think of yourself included, built upon and even critiqued his original scholarship?
2: Yeah. So uh, the first thing I'll say about the book and, uh, you know, sort of how we think about it now, thirty you know, plus years later, is that it it has aged very well. Some books, I, I think, you know, I have not been in this profession too long. But some books, I think, when they come out are 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 lauded and and maybe rightfully so, but they they disappear either because, you know the the books didn't have traction or, you know, it's oftentimes it's it's completely out of our control. The field it takes a it takes a left turn and sort of leaves some some books or some ideas behind that that maybe at the time people were really um, into, but uh, but but Inside War has has held on. Um, there are some scholars out there that I think you know see this book as as sacrosanct. You know, in, in many ways, is perfect. Well, historians never think other people's work is perfect, but uh, as close to perfect as as we can we can hold a book up. So it's, it's aged it's aged really, really well. That's not to say it isn't without you know some, some critique, um, some criticism. But I think that, that Fellman achieved in some ways more than he could have imagined in that he started a trend and, and got his scholars and historians interested in guerrilla warfare more than they ever had been before. The, the the person who sort of picks the ball up, of course, after Feldman is is Daniel Sutherland and his his very good book, award-winning book, A Savage Conflict, and he really you know he 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 continues Feldman's work and sort of expands it and shows you know that that guerrilla warfare was critically important or is, is critically important to understanding the war across the South that most people experience the war across the South this way, um, and then obviously you know there's a number of us today who 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 work on guerrilla warfare and we probably would not I should say we definitely would not if Feldman had not published this book. So myself, Matthew Holbert, Andrew Fialka, um, that's just a few of the people who are who are working on stuff right now, very much in the shadow of, of, of Inside War.
1: To turn inward a little bit, certainly you have written um, extensively on guerrilla Warfare and Missouri, and, and as listeners will, will recognize with your voice, you, you have been a guest on the podcast talking about, about your own scholarship. But when did you first encounter Inside War? Where was that first experience
2: at? So that's that's, that's, a, that's a good question. And it's, it takes me back a little bit. Uh, and you're going to, unfortunately, I'm going to have to re- reveal some things about, about myself, my undergraduate career, at least. Um, but yeah, the first time I read this book was as an undergraduate. And uh, I should say, the first time I tried to read this book was as an undergraduate. Um, it was a book that, was selected for me uh by was actually my advisor and undergraduate who we were doing sort of an independent study on the civil war with with a little bit more of a focus on missouri uh and guerrilla warfare and so this was naturally a part of what what he had selected for me to read and uh what we agreed upon and i remember just being totally overwhelmed by by this book you know i just i i I got into it and then, you know, I got lost in those, in those dark, you know, <laughs> Missouri trails, so to speak. Uh, it was, it was too much for me. And I also think it's just a book that for undergraduates really needs to be taught and taught well. And in an independent study, you know, we talked about, about the book, but I don't, I don't think that, that I was guided, you know, maybe, maybe as, as best I I would have been. And also, I just, I was not prepared for, for this, you know, this is not beginner's reading, so to speak. So that was the first time I tried to to get into it. And then, of course, when I went to graduate school, and I decided, or, or was looking for a topic to pursue, uh, this was the one of the first things I read, and, um, and read it over and over and over again. So, you know, I, I have my copy next to me here, and it's dog-eared, and there's, you know, notes all over it, and all that stuff. And it's still, you know, it's a part of my library and still gets, you know, taken out every now and again to 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 look at and, and to reference. So uh, graduate school is when I really, really got into it.
1: Now, thinking forward in graduate school there, how did Feldman's work shape your own scholarship, the way you thought about the topic as you were writing about it, but also kind of how you were developing a thesis, a dissertation later into a book and, and obviously articles as well, or books, I should say.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, that's a that's a that's another good question, Sean. And and I think it's a uh, this question is is a good one because I think that a lot of graduate students sort of go through this process, um, you know, of of reading books in a field they want to enter. And sometimes the the books are so good that that they really pull you into the field more. And other times the books are so good that it it terrifies you, <laughs> and you think I can never do anything this good. And I kind of had bo- both those reactions to to Feldman's book. It, it's the first thing about Feldman's book that that's really important to, for for maybe it, to to give him credit here um, is that it's incredibly well written. You know, it's a it's a very it's a long book in terms of the number of words. I mean, it's not a monster, but but it's it's a big book, and there's not a word out of place or or misused. At least that's you know the sense I have of it today. And then the other thing, too, is it's so compelling because he has all of these big ideas, big philosophical ideas um, that take you up, 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 up. And yet he's able to attach these to very real, very brutal, very bloody acts of violence. Um, And so you're moving through this book and you're just taking on so much intellectually. And yet it's a visceral book, too, right, because you're, you're, you're there and you're seeing people you know get shot down and and you know your houses are burned and 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 all of these terrible things are happening so it's 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 very compelling and so for me what that did was it more than anything it it pulled me in and it it cemented my my interest in the guerrilla war in missouri and it it probably it probably should have maybe maybe dissuaded me like put a cap on on the on the field and Um, I mean, certainly it had, right. It was such a good book that, that no one could follow it up for, for a really long time. But I think I fell in love with that part of history so much because of this book. And, um, and I'll say that, that in reading it as compelling as it was, I, there was something about it that, that was a little bit off that just gave me a sense that there was an opportunity here to maybe, maybe reframe the guerrilla war a little bit. And, and even, um, and this is where the, the, um, the foolishness of graduates, you know, the graduate student mindset comes in, even maybe challenge film in a little bit on on some of these ideas. So it, it's it was just, yeah, it was just a really important book um, for me. and and I, I think it was probably in my bag in graduate school for, you know, years and years and years at a time. Um, so it, it definitely influenced my my work in, in a great deal.
1: Now, obviously, over time with scholarship, You know, not everyone sees eye to eye on every single subject matter, every single single interpretation, otherwise there would be the same book published over and over again. Um, (laughs) So thinking about a book that you were really attached to, a a book that certainly shaped your scholarship, uh, obviously there's going to be differing interpretations. What are some of those differing interpretations in your own work compared to what Fellman found in 1989?
2: Yeah, that's and that's and this is what we do, right? Like you said, Sean, this is um, this is how we improve what we know about the past. We we um, talk to each other, uh, so to speak. We debate and sometimes we argue with each other, and and that's how we sort of build and build and build. You know, it's it's it, not to say that that we're competitive. I mean, plenty of people are in Civil War history. Um, but we do we do compete, you know. There, there is a way in which you have to challenge other people and 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 be prepared to have your ideas challenged. And then you know you you present your evidence, you present it as well as you can, and and you hope that that you know you're able to persuade people. Uh, and of course, that's you know I I get the sense I didn't know Michael really well, but I get the sense that uh, Michael Feldman knew that better than just about anybody. So he, you know, he his book was was criticized, and and he, you know, had no problem criticizing the others. So I I feel like it's safe for us to to engage um, his book on this level a little bit, and I I think the best way to start off in talking in in taking a critical eye to to Feldman's book is um, to look at the the criticisms that that sort of most historians uh, would agree with um, and did at the time when the book came out. So. Uh, the, the, the big ones here are chronology, geography, um, and then then the way in which Felman sort of picks and, and chooses his his primary sources. So in terms of chronology, he jumps into the war and you jump into the war with him and you sort of go from you know being at peace to then you know you've got two feet in the Missouri bush and you're you know you're running like hell for the next 250 pages um um trying to survive so th- there's not a lot of change over time here we don't really see how for instance if we take violence how it went from you know peacetime to you know mutilating the enemy's bodies you know there's not a lot of explanation over you know 61 62 63 64 um to where we get to really the darkest part of the guerrilla war so in, in some ways the the guerrillas just go from being normal farmers to being these brutal you know bloodthirsty killers and we don't see a lot of the evolution there so chronology is is a little bit of an issue geography is another one if you're not from missouri and or you and or you don't know much about Missouri's experience during the Civil War, you you probably wouldn't notice it with this book, but um, you know, Felman doesn't do a lot to distinguish between what's happening in Western Missouri, what what's happening in maybe Southeastern Missouri, what's happening in the Ozarks, what's happening you know up up north close to the Iowa border. So so those were obviously very different areas the fighting was very different even the guerrillas were fighting differently and had different you know um sources of supply and and, and material culture and all of these different different things they're fighting union soldiers who are fighting differently from one another so the geography just isn't there so it's sort of like he just takes missouri and outside of st louis you know just sort of says this is how the war was you know that so we we can look at what's happening and you know, Northwestern Missouri, and it's just the same as what's happening in Southeastern Missouri and um, so on and so forth. And, and that gives us a little bit of a distorted sense of what's actually what's actually happening. And this of course gets us to the sources. If you're doing that, then you can take, you know, a, a witness account of a guerrilla attack from, you know, somewhere around uh, like Jackson, Missouri, you know, just, you know, on basically on the Mississippi river, and you can use it to describe or you can use it and, and compare it to something that's happening in you know western Missouri and you know you can sort of you know make these situations seem and sound very similar. but in fact if you knew the context of the situations, the background of the situations, you knew that this one source was not really agreeing with this other source. so there's some picking and choosing of the sources. So those are sort of the, the general, uh, Critiques of of his book, in terms of where where I uh, tend to 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 break away from Felman, you know, Fellman's take is pretty uh, cynical. He's pretty skeptical of of these people, white white Southern Missourians, and, and very dismissive of their perspective on the war. Which is all well and good. I mean, I don't think you know. I think in our previous conversation about bushwhackers, I don't think anybody would want to spend very much time with Bloody Billy Anderson or any of those guys if they walked in the room. Um, and certainly, our, the politics of those people are are abhorrent to us now. But um, but but he, he, it's so dismissive that that in fact we 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 almost lose something of of who those people were, and certainly something of their of their true motivations, their authentic you know worldview. Um, the things that really got them to where they were when they were committing these these acts of violence. Um, So I think Feldman does a great job of getting us inside of the war. It helps us to understand warfare and violence on a much um, better level, but not necessarily these specific men or this specific culture. Uh, And as a result, what Feldman gives us is chaos. This is a book about chaos, about the anarchy of warfare he, he refers to, it. I think it's Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes, who originally says this, it, maybe not originally, but, but that's where I've tracked it back to, but, but this idea that, um, that before you have society, you have a, a war of all against all, right, the natural man, and, and I I take issue with that, because even though it can look like chaos or anarchy to us, You know, nowadays, you know, 100 plus, 150 plus years on, for these people, it was not chaos. It was not anarchy. Now, I'm not saying someone who's, you know, attacked in the middle of the night isn't going to feel like what's going on is chaotic or terrible or horrific. But what I'm saying is that for the guerrillas, they knew who their friends were. They knew who their enemies were. When they attacked people, they knew what they were doing. Um, Most people, when they were being attacked, knew why they were being attacked. You know, the guerrillas wearing Union uniforms was intentionally deceptive, but again, but people had a much better read on which side they were on and which side other people were on than I think Feldman gives them, gives them credit for. Um, it was not an anonymous society. The you know, Southerners were bound together by kinship. Germans were bound together by culture and language. Unionists knew who Unionists were um, in many instances. So they're, they're, people generally knew what was going on, as horrific as it was. So it, it, it wasn't chaos. There was some order Um, there. And what I tried to do is I wanted to restore the worldview of these people, restore the the culture, the communities of these people, so that we could get some clarity, so that we could see the war for what it was, rather than covering it with anarchy, with chaos, you know, adding some change over time, some some history to this history, if you will, uh, restoring geography, um, to, to to our understanding of the guerrilla war in Missouri um, so that we could really understand the logic behind this. And I know it, it's crazy to say that there was logic behind it, but to, to see the logic of the violence, to understand the logic of the violence. And, and I think that the, there, there's one other important point, and then I'll stop, you know, boring your, your poor listeners here, Sean, but um, there's Something else that 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 really struck me about Feldman's book that didn't seem right—it's so compelling and it makes you understand, I think, again, violence better, but not necessarily this specific war better—is that you know, Feldman paints a war uh, of neighbor versus neighbor, brother versus brother, father versus son, and you know, while as compelling again as the Freudian stuff is, um, it 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 doesn't bear out in reality. The reality is brothers didn't fight against each other. They fought side by side, you know? I mean, the most obvious example is of course the James brothers coming from Missouri, or the younger brothers. Cousins fought with cousins, you know, the the family kinship networks fought together. Uh, Fathers and sons didn't fight against each other. You know, sons weren't rebelling against their fathers. And this is, you know, Feldman uses a lot of this as metaphor. He's not necessarily saying it's, it's literally true all the time, but, but the metaphor is so far away from the literal truth that it becomes problematic. You know, the fathers in this instance, even Unionist fathers, are, they, they might not be joining the Confederate Army themselves, but they're helping their sons out in the brush. You know, they 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 might be telling you know the the local garrison, hey, you know, we'll we'll help you guys out. But in the back door, you know, they they're running food out to their out to their sons. They're giving information to their sons. You know, so um, I think that uh, too is problematic because that built on this this strange mytho- strange mythology of the Civil War that it's a quote unquote war of brother against brother and. Nothing could be further than from the truth. there's there's you know very few examples of where Brother fought against Brother. Usually, brothers were joining up in the same regiment to go kill somebody else's brothers. Um, so so I think it was important to to sort of restore a lot of that to you know what was going on in in Missouri and get rid of some of this some of this mythology.
1: That thought of brother versus brother that that' is a, as you mentioned, a very common thought upon subject matter and phrase when we think of the Civil War. So it's interesting to think about, that context as you, as you brought up there about kinship networks and, and what's going on on the ground. I think it's really a fascinating addition to that conversation. Now, you said a little bit earlier on that you that you didn't know Michael Feldman very well, but was there a chance at some point in your life that you were actually able to meet or talk with him or discuss your, your views on guerrilla warfare or how you all kind of were talking about the same subject matter?
2: Um, yes, Sean. Yes. It's uh... a... <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's funny that you bring that up. No. So um, I won't, I won't give the whole story in detail, but <laughs> partially because like Feldman would probably say in his book, you know, it, it I, I was, I was, you know, brutalized uh, uh, in a sense and, and probably of my own making there. Um, but yeah, Feldman and I met uh, um, a couple of times I, again, I would not say that we had really had a relationship. Our, we had a couple intense encounters on the subject of, of guerrilla warfare. And um, so the, without, you know, going on too long here, the, the first time we met, I was a very foolish uh, graduate student. Um, I, I don't know if I was just overconfident or, or ignorant or what it was, but, but certainly foolish, um, you know, is, is how you would have to sum it up. And so uh, you could say I went into the first encounter asking for it, so to speak, and uh, I got it. Um, I got roughed up pretty good. And, uh, you know, Fellman was not happy with me. And, and in hindsight, I can understand, you know, much better why uh, he was not so, so happy with me. But anyway, uh, I got roughed up pretty good, um, you know, left there limping and bleeding. But luckily, we had a, we had a second encounter not too long after that, you know, after the after the wounds healed up and scarred over and all that, and I, you know, went back into the to the fray. And our second meeting was not 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 nearly as antagonistic, not even antagonistic at all. And um, and after you know, we both presented. He pulled me aside, sort of at the end of of this event, and. You know, he, he had some nice things to say and I won't, I'll keep those words between me, me and him, but uh, he was, he was very nice. Um, and, uh, and so that was, it was much more cordial. And then uh, we were going to have a third meeting, you know, I was presenting a paper at a conference and I was, um, it, I, I assumed he was going to be there. I thought he was going to be there for sure. And, uh, and unfortunately that was right around the time that he passed away. So, um, we did not get to have you know any more uh, encounters and and you know it's it it was a really sad thing when 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 michael fa- passed for a lot of reasons um of course you know the man has a family um wife kids i i, I, I think maybe grandkids um so that's it's very sad when when you know someone passes away and, and there's all those people there who you know no longer have this person in their life a little bit more selfishly, it, it, it's sad that the Civil War, the um, Civil War history doesn't have him around anymore. Um, he was pugnacious and riled some people up and, and I know he rubbed some people the wrong way but he was also a, a, a fantastic scholar to have among our ranks. You know, we needed this guy um, and he's, he's no longer here and it's a huge, huge void um in the field and then and then very selfishly I you know I would like to have some more arguments with him about the guerrillas and about guerrilla war and I can't well not not really um you know I do have like I said my dog-eared copy of Inside War so whenever I I guess whenever I get in a fighting mood I can always go take it off the shelf and um and and you know get into an argument so to speak and um I'll probably be disappointed at how often he defeats me uh, even today after he's long gone but um but, you know, and that, that's a funny thing, Sean, and I should, I, should, I should mention that, and I've thought about that since um, Michael passed, is uh, it, in a way there is an afterlife for historians that, that only really professional historians can appreciate um, or, or writers who, who would use our, our work can appreciate. And that's, uh, you can find that in the way that we cite each other and talk about each other. So, you know, even as I cite, you know, Felman today, you know, whatever I'm working on, if his, if his work is relevant and it, and it comes up and I, and I talk about him, you know, we don't quote each other in the past tense, even after we've died. So, you know, I, I, I won't be saying Michael Felman said, I'll be saying, you know, in Inside War, Michael Felman says, you know, this or that about, about the guerrillas. So that's kind of a nice thing, you know, in a way the conversation lives on, our debates live on, our arguments live on, and it's also a great credit to his book that, you know, of course, that it's still relevant, that people are, you know, that he still gets to have it out with people um, long after he's, he's passed away.
1: Now, turning here towards the end, thinking about your own work, and we talked, of course, about bushwhackers um, in a previous conversation, but what are some projects you're working on now, both you could think of the continuation of guerrilla warfare or even new stuff as well?
2: Yeah, so um, the, the, Biggest project I'm working. on, I mean, the the thing that I've spent the most time working on of late is a new biography on William Clark Quantrill. It, it'll be, you know, I mean, depending on when it when it comes out, uh, it'll be the the first scholarly biography, meaning, you know, the first book written by an academic scholar on Quantrill in 60 years or so. Uh, I mentioned Albert Castell's book. You know, comes from the the early 1960s, 60, 61, somewhere around there. Uh, maybe 62 and um you know he's he's he published a, a couple a, a new version of that at least maybe one or two but it's the same book so really the first new research on on Quantrell by a historian in 60 years um and I'm able to kind of do both things with that you know I'm able to keep one foot in the guerrilla war because of course Quantrell becomes you know arguably the most powerful and infamous guerrilla leader of the war um, but, it, but it lets me branch out into some other things that I'm interested in. Um, so a great deal of the book, um, really the first half of the book focuses on Quantrill's time in the antebellum West and, and sort of how he becomes a man in, in that context, you know, in, in Kansas, uh, you, know, in the 1850s, you know, crossing the the, the plains and, and the, the Rocky Mountains spending time in Utah, being a part of the Pikes' Peak Gold Rush uh you know uh, that various stuff spending his time in 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 lawrence kansas you know when he comes back so it it gets gives me a chance to to explore 19th century manhood uh manhood that that comes into contact with with you know or conflict with other forms of, of masculinity whether it's native american um, African American, North South, you know, we see all these different identities and, and masculinities converging together there in the West. So um, I get to do that, um, but but really, what what drives the book is looking at Quantrill as a man, and in particular as a white man. So looking at, at where race and gender uh, informed his worldview, how other people saw him, how he saw other people, you know, all of that stuff, and and it helps explain how a guy who's born in Ohio, you know, um, ends up being, you know, ultimately a, a southern um, guerrilla fighter. So that's primarily where where, where my work is, is headed now. You know, that, uh, there's all sorts of other little projects I'm, I'm dabbling in, but I think that's probably the biggest one. And um, it's not it hasn't been, uh, or it's not under contract. I've been offered a, a contract on it, but before I I actually sign that thing, I don't know too much about when it's going to come out or or anything like that. But hopefully, twenty twenty two uh, will get that thing out, and um, that would be. I'd, I'd be interested to know what 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 Feldman thought about that. But again, you know, sadly, he's not here to to tell us.
1: Well, thank you very much again for joining me, Joe.
2: Sean, it, it was my pleasure. I hope we we did inside war, some some justice here, you know? It, it's, a, it's a big, big book in terms of its significance. And, uh, you know, I was really honored that you asked me to, to talk about it because it does, it's still very much alive in our field of, of guerrilla studies. And anyone who wants to know, you know, about the guerrilla war in Missouri, uh, I would highly recommend that they, that they jump in and, and try this book out and, and be willing to give it more than one try. You know, you might be like me and get stumped that first time. But, yeah, it's a a fantastic book, and and, uh, I really am honored. Thank you, Sean.
0: Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash Our-Missouri.